people of Earth, your planet has destroyed. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as special guest co host this week, Samantha Jane is here. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> Samantha, how's it going? Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Excited to be in LA where we're not breathing in wildfires right now. Suck that, New York. <laughs> now, how rare is it that New York is the one on fire this time? I mean, it's Amazing. funny because I'm one of the people that, you know, moved from New York to LA. And a lot of them are like, do you see this? Do you see this, LA? Like, everything's a competition between us. They're like, our air sucks too, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But California bursts into flames like every winter. Like, you're hot right now, but we, like, are always hot, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Act (laughs) like you've been on fire before, New York. Yeah, like you haven't been on fire. (laughs) (laughs) We are covering a documentary about the 2020 election. It's an ABC News Australia documentary. But I did like that it was the Australians because they were very invested in Rupert Murdoch. And like, this is why he went to America is to do this fucked up shit that you can't do here. (laughs) They had to keep explaining like it's different in America. Yeah. And normally I would, I mean, not seriously have the question, but it is tempting to be like, hey, Australia, what do you fucking care? Why don't you make a documentary about your own elections? But also, yeah, Rupert Murdoch is from Australia, so they get to have a dog in this fight. And I have to say, first impression... I've been watching a lot of Succession. I'm trying to catch up. I haven't quite finished. But I immediately was like, oh, this is this is all the characters. <laughs> like, this is the Roy family. These are the brothers fighting for who's going to own the company. And, like, all of a sudden, I'm the good guy. But are you? You're still, like, a rich guy. And, like, literally the woman that runs Fox News, who's exactly like the one that runs ATN. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. It's like the show. <laughs> and I think Succession might partially be based on the Murdoch family it wouldn't surprise so. there has some inspiration there i, would I think. definitely i mean I, the minute i realized that i was like oh this is like how you know citizen kane is really about whoever the newspaper guy was then i forgot was it hearst that sounds I, right i don't know <laughs> yeah. he, he was a newspaper guy one of those guys a lot of things were uh, named after this is a four corners investigation i don't know what that means it sounds like it's just a show within ABC News Australia. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like a Dateline sort of a, is what I would yeah. assume, you know. With journalist Sarah Ferguson. That name sounded familiar, but I've literally, I am well, not Well, that's fam- because isn't Sarah Fer- Ferguson also the Duchess of York? Fergie? Okay, yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. that's what I think I was thinking of. I don't think this is the same one, though. Although that no. would have been amazing. <laughs> she stops in the middle to pitch Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah. This is actually Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. Crazy. Right. Also, <laughs> they should start a super group. <laughs> so a lot of this is about how Donald Trump really caused a rift within Fox News, which shouldn't surprise anyone because Donald Trump caused a rift in everything. Yeah, I wish that they had like almost played that up more. Like they were so dry and, and you know news news like journalistic but like 
you could tell they really wanted to play on this angle of like the rift between brothers and it tore apart his family. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's juicy. Yeah. I kind of want to see that documentary or just make it into a TV show. <laughs> yeah. I Succession, but with accents. Yeah. There was just so f- little footage of the actual Murdoch brothers, you know, and, and Rupert. It was all like them speaking, you know, except for yeah. that opening, them as little kids, which I'm like, oh, I thought we were going to go down a very like Netflixy kind of documentary. And then it went dry and journalistic. The opening where they're asking the kid, like, what's a good thing about your father? Yeah. And he's like, uh, he takes us camping. Yeah. He's like, are we going to pull on that thread? What's going on here? My favorite thing that daddy does is when he takes us to the woods all alone. <laughs> <laughs> he takes us to the forest and we play games. It was a very like poignant pause for that. <laughs> yeah. The other kid, and yeah, you really see those two kids' personalities in that moment because the other kid, when he answers, he's like, the media is vilifying my dad. And it's like, calm down, you fucking 10-year-old. Yeah, and then the other one that goes... (laughs) The other one's like, he takes us camping. I don't know why he had a British accent, but... (laughs) Those are the original Australians. You just went like too far back. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the one that defects later. Yeah, I have questions about him. That's James Murdoch. He strikes me as a very Kendall Roy, is what I got. Yeah, (laughs) and they're like, oh, he's more moderate. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean coming from someone who still wants to run Fox News as a conservative outlet? It's like he probably still doesn't think trans people are people, but he just thinks the election wasn't stolen also. So it's like, oh, okay, well, you're moderate then. I feel like, yeah, that Kendall Roy vibe of like, you know, I just picture myself as this good guy and this white knight and I'm different and I'm going to create change when they're the same people with the same values, really. Yeah, or like when people are like, isn't the new Pope cool? It's like, no, he's the Pope. He's not, I don't care if we listen to the same music. He's still fucking Pope. Yeah, I'm a man of the people, except I also just want to run a different corporation and be like my own boss and not be under my daddy. Exactly. I'm so different than my daddy. They talk about the launch of Fox News. That happened in 1996, and they had that fair and balanced tagline right away, which was always kind of LOL. They were never fair and balanced. But it's kind of like if you have to say you are. <laughs> yeah. And that's not to say that the publications on the other side are super fair and balanced. They just know not to say that they are. I mean, you know, I took one journalism class in college, so I feel pretty educated on sure, journalistic on. integrity and standards. Um, you're always supposed to be aiming for the most objective view you can do but you know everyone is subjective you're always gonna have like your own you know lenses coloring how you see events and you know good journalists take care to try and write that out or you know editors will try and edit that out but then you have things where like the new york times will be like we try and be so objective that they sometimes won't actually take the stance that humanity would take (laughs) it's like okay we also got a report that was a lot of donald trump things it's like there was a quote someone said is like, it was their job to report what he said and what his people said, but they didn't have to package it and sell it and, you know, be on message with it, you know? Yeah. And that, I think, speaks to a big problem with the media in this country, which is that they value access to the government a little too much to the point that it's like, well, if we criticize too much or if we like 
speculate on things that they haven't officially told us, then we're just going to be barred from the White House altogether. And then how do we do our job? Honestly, it's kind of like how TMZ has gotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just all these and social media, it's like now that it's about access and not just, you know, being a weird little reporter outside <laughs> trying to like figure out what's going on. And it's about getting access to interviews and stuff. People are very, I just, I feel like marketing has been so insidiously intertwined with journalism in a way that is gross and people don't realize like how PR and public relations. Uh, I also took a class in PR, so I'm like, really? <laughs> but people I don't realize a lot of things that get written as news are press releases. A press release is sent out by someone's people. That is the official message they want out there. And a journalist should get a press release, maybe pull some quotes, tell people that these are quotes coming from that person and their advertising arm. And it's like their messaging. But a lot of times reporters are lazy and they will just pretty much copy and paste a press release and sell it as reporting, which is literally just being a funnel for a marketing team. You yeah. know, it's like printing an advertisement, but then saying it's news. And like that's been happening for a long time in journalism. And when you start getting into doing that with like politics and world events, then sometimes that marketing team is the CIA. That's been, I mean, honestly... Edward Bernays is like the father of modern PR. He was like Freud's nephew. So he was the first one that's like, you know, if we make people feel things. You can sell them ideas, you know, not right. just products. And he worked for FDR selling the New Deal to America. So this has actually been yeah. going on for a long time. They're just getting like both like horrifyingly good and also a little sloppy at the same time. Yeah. There's a book that I did a couple episodes of this podcast about that's called The CIA and the Cult of Intelligence. And it's the first book the American government ever went to court to try and get censored because it was a former CIA agent who just fell out and was like, I'm going to tell you everything the CIA does. And one of the things they talk about in that book is at one point the CIA, and they obviously still do this, but they were putting out press releases and news stories in other countries that they knew were fake, but they were just doing it to try and cause whatever reaction they wanted in that country. And there were cases where U.S. outlets would pick up those stories and end up reporting them in the U.S. And the CIA said nothing. At no point did they step in and go, oh, hey, 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 that was just a fake story that we were spreading. Because now the lie that they want spread in that country is getting picked up in the U.S. too. And that just makes it all the more effective. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lazy way to do your job if you're a reporter. Yeah, just not questioning information you're given is like kind of your one job is being that filter. Yeah. And at its heart, this documentary is about that. Like yeah. it's a whole, it's even worse than that because this isn't just a news organization being told a story and then reporting it without checking it. They knew what they were reporting was false. Well, getting to the point, and you know, they talk about this where it just becomes so egregious that they're at his rallies. So it's it's not yeah. just objective reporting; it's like this team thing. Like we're on this side. They interview Gretchen Carlson in this, which is interesting because she says a lot, but then they get to like a couple questions, and she's like, "I have an NDA; I can't say anything." I mean, she even said she's like, you know, of her and a few other women had actually approached Fox News to be released 
from their NDAs. Because they signed them before me too and all of that. And like, I get it. You're a woman reporting. Like, there's this conflict, especially when there wasn't a movement or an outlet wanting that story to be the person to come out. You are seen as bitter, angry, looking for attention, all of this stuff. Where There's no reason for a woman to come tell their story unless they really morally feel like it's going to make an impact and do something for someone else. Otherwise, like people think you're looking for money, which you're not, which you don't get <laughs> from telling yeah. your story because they probably took money and damages. And, and as a you know result, they had to say they wouldn't tell their story. But at the time, I don't think they felt like anyone would have listened to their story. So why wouldn't they take the money? <laughs> yeah. And her being in this actually lends a lot of credibility to the story they're telling, because despite her history with Roger Ailes. She's also like, if Roger Ailes stayed at Fox News, it wouldn't have turned into this. Yeah, that was an interesting section. Because yeah. it was like, on the one hand, they did, you know, definitely saying, you know, Roger had this egregious personal life and no one knew and whatever he took himself off. But they're also like, but he was good at his job. You know, yeah. it was like a little bit of a like, you know, me too. Like sometimes people are horrible personal people, but they're good. They're better at their jobs than other people. And like, where do we find that line? I guess. Yeah. I just and think it's, there could have been someone better fine to replace him, but sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's her being what Fox news isn't. That's her being objective. Right. Like, you know, it does happen. Sometimes assholes or horrible people are really good at their jobs. Yeah. And it doesn't make them not horrible people. And it doesn't make you a horrible person for pointing that out. It's just right. the fucking facts because things are not good team bad team black and white which we love and which kind of you know is, right. is a driver in this whole divisive political climate like people don't want to be like wow people are complicated and they're shades of gray <laughs> and someone yeah. i hate can also have redeeming qualities i right. don't know it's just not as and fun then, <laughs> yeah like even then at the same time fuck roger ailes like i'm yeah. glad he got fired and they make a big point of Fox News like becoming way less objective after Roger Ailes. It's like, well, were they ever? Part of the of problem also was I, it doesn't seem like they really replaced Roger Ailes in any major way. It just became nepotistic and kind of bumped up to the Murdochs taking over right. where, uh, an industry they don't really know how to do or care about and just using it as more of a mouthpiece for their own personal preference at thinking of it in a marketing way they were like oh we're following our audience and you know right. which is not what news is not supposed to cater to the crowd like entertainment you know yeah i get the sense roger ailes had a very dominating personality because one of the other things they talk about is he just kept rupert murdoch out of the news business like rupert murdoch was the owner and just had no say over what was happening in terms of the news at Fox. And then once Roger Ailes left, that's when Rupert Murdoch moved in. And I still don't completely buy the idea that Fox News was in any way objective before that. I don't though. think they're saying it was completely objective, but they're like, it was better. It yeah, was never because, great. It always leaned one way, you know, but it wasn't blatantly a mouthpiece, I right. think. Which is what it definitely becomes. Yeah, becomes they would try and have like debates and have, you know, Democrats even like they're even if just for show. Yeah. Hannity and Combs. Combs was the Democrat on that debate show. Sean Puff Daddy Combs. Actually. <laughs> I, was, realized that. I was like, wow, what a drier, shittier version of Honeycombs. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they talked to Gretchen Carlson 
another guy they talked to I found really interesting was Chris Steyerwalt, who was a Fox News political editor for 10 years, who becomes really integral to this story. But I don't know if I remember which one he is. He's the guy because a lot of this centers around the idea that the 2020 election was stolen. The big lie. Chris Steyerwalt was the guy working the Fox News decision desk, like the head of the decision desk, who on election night called Arizona for Joe Biden. Yes. And almost everyone else at Fox News was irate that they called Arizona for Joe Biden before anyone else. Well, because that like Trump took that as a personal offense. Right. He took it as the Murdochs not having his back, not being loyal. And meanwhile, this Steyerwalt guy's like, we should have been celebrating the fact that we were first and that we were right. Like, that's what you're supposed to do during an election is you not only want to be right, but you want to be first to call for a particular candidate. Like a blatant thing of like everything journalism should be celebrated for getting the story correct and the fastest was you know they didn't like it in piece of like you didn't serve the messaging correctly yeah what did you think of susan estrich so which one was susan Susan estrich Estrich was the democrat who helped roger ailes kind of form his defense around those was she the blonde lady blonde lady kind of raspy voice deep voice yeah okay yeah she reminded me of of one of the characters on succession too yeah she did yeah she's she's got those like what do you do for a living kind of vibes where it's like you just you aren't really sure what she does but she clearly does something and she's very good at it that yeah. goes beyond just being like a lawyer like she seems like a problem solver yeah i'm she's saying like a political like, cleaner probably, or something yeah she's probably had people murdered like that's what i'm getting at or helped write the story about it <laughs> right, exactly. They call her and, after. They're like, what do we do about this? Yeah. To her credit, she steers Roger Ailes away from what she calls the nuts and sluts defense, which is a phrase she coined herself. And I hope it's not because she employed that strategy in the past. But I, I feel mean, like no, she right. called it, though. She's not wrong. Like, oh, yeah. something happened. She's either crazy or she's a slut. Nuts or yeah. sluts. I was like, yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, to her credit, she steers Roger Ailes away from that. And she's like, I'm not going to help you defend yourself. I'll just help you settle. And he leaves with a shit ton of money. Uh, Gretchen Carlson got a lot of money. And now she can't talk about it anymore, which that's fair. Like, I feel like I would take, I think she got $20 million. Yeah, I mean, good chunk. There's not much benefit to telling a story. Like, you know, uh, you really just get more criticism and harassment so it's like not fun for women to come out and talk about what's happening to them yeah do you remember the triumph the insult comic dog election special that was on hulu leading up to the 2016 election vaguely there is a crazy scene in that where roger ailes is in it for like not a while like a while he doesn't just like make a cameo and there's one scene, and this is after all of the allegations have come out, but before he was fired. And there's a scene where they're doing it jokingly, but Roger Ailes is being interviewed by a female reporter, and he's just staring at her chest the entire time she talks. And 
I always felt like that speaks to what kind of person Roger Ailes must be to like be in that kind of shit storm of a news story about you being a sex creep and then going on a TV show that is clearly being filmed after that has all come out and being like, yeah, I'll embrace being a fucking sex creep on camera. What's going to happen to me? It's like, it's, it's like when you, you start to question, like, are you oblivious or do you just really think you're that untouchable? Yeah. Like, which you want to think that you're just an idiot. Who's like, that's habit, and you don't realize you're being filmed, and later you'll be like, whoa, whoops. But if if you really just are like, nobody fucking can touch me. <laughs> there really is a point in history where Fox News does go from kind of being just a news outlet to being the mouthpiece of the Trump administration. And it is after Roger Ailes leaves and Rupert Murdoch comes in. And at first, you think he's going to cede control to his sons, and he doesn't at first. And one of them ends up just leaving. That's James, the one who... Kendall Roy. <laughs> yeah. To James and Lachlan's credit, both, at least in terms of the Me Too stuff after Gretchen Carlson went public, at least in their public words, they sound like they're on the right side of history. Whereas they ask Rupert Murdoch about it and he's like, ugh. It's a bunch of nothing. Like well, he also to bother. This to is beneficial for the sons because there's a big power vacuum for one of them to step into for their father, his buddies getting sent up the river for shit he probably did with him. You know? So yeah. they're gonna have very different views on it. Even right. just from their own personal how's it gonna benefit me, you know, yeah. subjectivity. And so the the rift between those three becomes enough that, like we said, James just leaves and goes to like... The question is, James is saying he doesn't agree with what's happening at Fox News. I think he goes to do his own news, right? So, like a yeah. different... And he's even like, Fox, they're doing their thing over there. But I'm like, okay, or was there a battle for who was going to lead Fox News and you didn't get it? Yeah, you And just it went lost. to your brother. We'll never really know, but it's like... Yeah, which that if that was the case, it would be smart of him to come out the other end and be like, hey, they're just too conservative for me. Yeah. Oh, you don't want me? Well, I'm defecting. We're going to the other side. I'm going to be your competition now. Yeah. And I think the fact that I don't know where he went or what he's doing speaks to how well that if, went. If he had become a large because I yeah, I never knew this as part of, you know, yeah. consuming American media. I didn't know that one of the Rupert brothers had defected and gone liberal if he had done that in a big way where people in america knew about it it might have meant something people in fox watchers are like well why did his own son abandon him because they love a family narrative you know but he didn't make a big stink about it until like after shit went down he kind of had a like i told you so moment which just feels petty and not like a little genuine and so yeah they talk about election night and fox news calling arizona for joe biden which If you've looked into the 2020 election theories, the conspiracy theories around it, that's huge because Arizona is the state where that carried on the longest. They had Carrie Lake, who was, was she governor at the time? It had a very Florida of the West vibe. Yes. And oh, she was a candidate for governor and she was so outspoken about the 2020 election being stolen, especially in Maricopa County in Arizona. And that carried on for such a long time. 
so that Fox News is kind of the outlet that kicked off that conspiracy theory. I find that really interesting. Yeah, because I that got is- like just major flashback because the first election I ever voted in in Florida was the hanging chads. I'm, I'm from West Palm Beach. That so was Palm Beach oh, County yeah. was the fucking hanging chads for months. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, we're going back to the playbook. It just feels very similar because they called it for Arizona, but then they immediately backpedaled like the day in the days after when it was clear that Trump was mad at them. Right. And they kind of like the official decision desk never backpedaled, but their anchors are the ones who start pushing the idea that maybe not only did Trump actually win Arizona, he won the entire election. Well, then they get into the crazy um, uh when they start going after the voting machines. Yes. Which is unhinged. <laughs> it is nuts. When she gets and- like, that's when that woman just implodes during when the reporter's like, but this is a basic fact you could Google. Yeah. And her because- response is to get angry and be like, I can't talk about this because litigation. Yeah, that, that was lawyer Sidney Powell, who is a crazy person. Absolute. And used to be like a federal official of course yeah one of the I mean, lawsuits, she has like sociopath vibes she does if you look into her background this is what she does she's a salesperson she's an attack but, dog she's yeah. the spin queen but to be fair That's, she's not a reporter <laughs> right so she doesn't have to tell the truth yeah one of the things that comes up in this documentary or one of the focuses of it is the various lawsuits that were filed against all of the people responsible for spreading these stolen election lies. And one of those companies is Smartmatic. There is this conspiracy out there that Smartmatic was like the leader of this nationwide effort to steal votes and to alter votes. And meanwhile, Smartmatic was used in one state, California, and only in L.A. County. Which, you know, real big doubt always which way L.A. County was going to go. Exactly. And that, yeah, they, well, like, that also felt personal because you know Trump is a showman and he yeah. wants to be popular and he considers himself part of Hollywood because he had a TV show. So I feel like he probably took it personally, like, fuck LA. Yeah, it had to be something like that. Like, I feel like the people who put this theory together knew it was obviously a lie. And I don't know. Maybe they fed this to Sidney Powell. Just I wonder to if there's also like, the, you know, <laughs> fuck the Hollywood elite. It's kind of like blaming Hollywood, blaming the Jews. <laughs> right, fuck the elites. Course. Fuck the lizard people who run Hollywood. They stole the election somehow. Bl- like blame it on Hollywood. Not the worst play for conservatives trying to sell the rest of the com- the country on this idea who don't know L.A. County and think we're all yeah. pieces of shit. Um, but But then if that's the case. You damn sure better be ready to answer the question of how many places were Smartmatic voting machines well, yeah, used. Yeah, when they just like sh- show all the clips where they are blatantly lying, saying like Smartmatic owned the other company, which is not true, saying just like things factually that aren't true. Yeah. Sarah Ferguson asks her how many places and she was like, I don't know, probably too many to count if I'm being honest. And Sarah Ferguson's like one. It's used in one place, and you could have just Googled that. Well, Sydney she does. Powell, she's a deflection. Yeah. She's like, well, there's information you don't know, and I can't speak about this because it, it's under litigation, and, and there's things I cannot talk about. Like, it just becomes a whole, like, you just don't know, but I also can't tell you. Yeah. Very convenient defense. Yeah, and then she has- And she, she gets offended. That. She walks out. 
yeah, that R. Kelly on 2020 moment where she just stands up and acts like she's been so aggrieved. Well, she says to the reporter, I'm starting to question why you're even here. Like as if she's the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a masterclass in sociopathic deflection. Like instead really? of answering a question, I get offended that you would even ask this. And it's really typical of pretty much all of the conspiracy theories that this group in particular, like Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, all the stuff they push, you eventually hit that wall where it's like, all right, show me the evidence. And they're like, no. And one of the best examples of that is the Hunter Biden's laptop story. There is actually a quote from Rudy Giuliani where someone asked him why he doesn't just make this evidence public and just show people if you're so convinced Hunter Biden has been involved in all this. And his actual response was because you'll just spend time trying to discredit it. And it's like, yeah, man, that's what the news outlets are supposed to do with a story like this. And just saying that implies that you feel like they will be able to discredit it because you're lying. And it's like, that's why fucking Trump supporters, that's why no one believes this shit. I feel like when it's, it comes time to show people you can't. You know, I started thinking about this in an interesting way when it was, um, who was the weird kind of conservative lady who also was like power of positive thinking? I'm not thinking Marjorie Taylor Greene was before that. She was running in 2016 or something. Um, I'm so bad with names. This is hard for me. Yeah, I don't remember. There was one who was like very, uh, I've started to realize this too. This is this guy, Dr. Dispenza. There's some people on the fringes of conservative conspiracy theory that almost touch on new age stuff. Lots of the right. secret manifesting, you know, power of positive thinking, create your own reality. And conservatives love that shit. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the like holding to the lie with like, I think some part of them is like, if I believe this lie with my whole heart and my uh, uh, the full power of my mind, I can manifest it and make it real. This is yeah. like the power of my mind over the power of your reality. Like and that's one of the scary things about how Trump got elected. There's a he movie kind of power out. positive think that. I mean, he kind of did. He, he well, not just that, but there was this guy who at one point had a vision that Trump was ordained by God to be the next president. And he had this vision while watching Trump uh, speak. And he goes to his therapist and tells them this. And his therapist does not do what a therapist is supposed to do and, you know, just talk him through these weird feelings. Instead, his therapist goes, hey, can I put you in touch with a woman who organizes evangelicals? And the guy's like, okay, sure. And she does that. And this guy ends up being put in touch with this woman. I don't remember her name, but for the next few months, this woman starts organizing daily phone calls where people just get on the phone and pray for Donald Trump to become president. And by the end, these calls are like 250,000 people strong. And this is all evangelicals who already think, well, if you think hard enough and pray hard enough, it'll happen. And then they do this and fucking Trump wins. So now they're like, see, it is God's plan that Trump become president. And I think that has a lot to do with, I think you're right. I think that is why people are holding on 
to this well, as hard as they y'all. get people who like my mom is you know jewish from new york we're always liberal artists and she was getting into at the end of her life this guy dr dispensa who was part of the reason why she didn't think she needed cancer treatment she was gonna heal herself with her fucking mind yeah. and they're getting like just kind of new agey people who were never conservative in this backdoor channel of like the QAnon going to the power of positive thinking NLP sort of thing, which was kind of wild to me. That's why there's like a weird, you know, very, very conservative Trump leaning faction in, a, in Los Angeles. If you get into the like yoga healer, all natural movement of the not, they became non-vaxxers. They became, yeah, they get sucked into conspiracy that way. There's like an overlap, uh, which I found fascinating. Because I'm like, yeah. oh, it's not even a, they're not even getting them through the politics. They're getting them, it's like a call. They get you through the emotional pitch first, which is like, that's how you get into most cults. Your mind is so powerful. We understand you, the rest doesn't. We're going to change your life. We're going to make everything better. And then once you're in and you feel that familiar, like these people are my friends and we're all in this team together. And then they start doing the crazy shit, like slowly, yep. like bit by bit and before you know it you're at a rally chanting shit yeah the you never guy that, the guy that broke into paul pelosi's house and beat him with a hammer like you can just look at that dude until he's done a lot of surfing he probably reeks of patchouli they were like he had a, a rainbow flag outside his house and a black lives matter flag so he had to be a leftist it's like no he doesn't have to be i mean also the the extremists in the liberal party it's once you're an extremist, you're more like other extremists than you are anyone in the middle. And the extremists yeah. in the liberal party that are like, fuck those assholes. I'm like, you sound exactly like the conservatives being like, fuck those assholes. Like you're both just villainizing people and not working on any sort of area for compromise or unity. So yeah. you're just the same part of the problem. Like you are both assholes. You're all assholes. Stop yelling. <laughs> yeah. That's the main point of this episode. You are all ass. Yeah, honestly, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up. God. I I never re I guess I probably heard at the time, and I don't know if he ever switched his position, but I was surprised that Tucker Carlson was like the only person on Fox News who was like, Sidney Powell's fucking crazy. He came out looking good. Yeah. And that is a thing. I don't think it came out by the time this documentary was first aired but we know now that people within fox like even lou dobbs and the people they highlight in this documentary behind the scenes they were all texting each other like man trump's crazy like he obviously lost the election but then they were going on the air and still spreading well i mean also like we want to we want to blame anchors we want to hold them responsible because they're the face we see but yes any actor, any performer, all the faces you see on camera are the lowest people on the totem pole. Right. People who put the script in front of them and say, say that, we're all watching. They're not yeah. writing the scripts. Like, none of them are in charge of what they're saying. Like, none of them are in charge of what's on that teleprompter. They're just there to be a puppet and smile and look nice and say it. And Lachlan Murdoch even kind of says that in the documentary. The performers. They're, yeah, they're showing a clip of him speaking at, like, some TED Talk kind of thing except he's being interviewed and the person's like, do you write the stories that Fox news puts out? Which is a dumb way to ask the question for one thing. And he's like, no, I don't write them. I just work very closely with the managers of the various departments where people write and guide the stories that they write. It's like, okay, that's the same thing. That is essentially the same thing. It's like, 
hey, uh, secretary, take this down. And then you're like, she wrote it. <laughs> yeah. And it speaks to why this lawsuit happened. But also, there's a part in this where Chris, what the fuck's his name? Style Wart. He's also a right winger at the end of the day. They all have much. names that sound like evil characters in Harry Potter. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> yes. But Chris, Chris Steyerwalt, yeah, the guy from the decision desk, he brings up that given Trump's involvement in this, because they do talk about how Rupert Murdoch eventually becomes like a pipeline for Trump. He well, just they literally talk- show him getting on the back of Trump's little golf cart, which also feels yeah. like very beta. Like it's so because you're sitting right. on the back facing away, looking like a coy little girl, like on the back of a Harley. Like he, you didn't even get the front seat brought so like <laughs> Rupert. Like, yeah, that was almost certainly Trump. Just the visual oh, just showed you status wise. It's like you're getting on the back of his golf cart and he's just going to take you on a little ride. But also in Rupert Murdoch's defense, the president of the United States just flew out of the country to come visit you personally. As they said, to kiss the ring. (laughs) Yeah. So now Rupert Murdoch has all this access to the White House and is like this direct pipeline for Trump. And they engage in this conspiracy to spread a false narrative about the election in hopes of overturning the U.S. election. What that Chris guy brings up is that's a way bigger scandal than like Watergate. This is a president taking control of a fucking U.S. media outlet to try and launch a coup, basically. Like, this is so much bigger. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. But Watergate, I think in general, we need to stop acting like that is the pinnacle of American misdeeds. Like, I that's feel like on the list. The reason that we can do that is that by the time that happened... Everyone kind of hated Nixon. Like even conservatives, they love Reagan, but they don't love Nixon as much because he was just so, it was right at the beginning of media too. Like presidents weren't as media savvy and he was, he, his media presence was not curated enough. He was unlikable. He kind of burned both sides. It was interesting to see about how access changed things. I got really into laughing at one point over quarantine, (laughs) which was famous for having the like, suck it to me that kind of made nixon so then when nixon became president they had access the guys who run the show were showing how they went to the inauguration and they started as this like hippie very left very funny emmy winning show and very quickly became a piece where i had to google stuff because it was just a lot of sketches about how spiru agnew was a dummy which is like that's like what nixon wanted people to know because he didn't like his vice president no, oh, yeah. It was, I was literally like, what is the deal? And it's like, <laughs> oh, Nixon hated his vice president, Spiro Agnew. And it's like, that's all laughing does sketches on now, which was not funny. Did not, right. <laughs> it, it didn't land. That's why nobody knows the show now. They, dang, conservative comedy, not really that funny. But it was like, you could tell they were just so over the moon at their access to the president that it completely right. blindsided anything else that they were doing with the show that was good. And it's like, yeah, just getting blinded by like your access and your power to where nothing else matters but your personal experience getting to go to the white house or whatever and now you're selling out this entire mouthpiece yeah and you saw it or you see it in this documentary with the anchors too not just with rupert murdoch you mentioned there's the scene from the trump rally where sean hannity gets to go up on stage and speak and he points to the rest of the media in the back and goes they're fake news oh my god yeah knowing he's spreading fake news at the time himself 
Janine Pirro gets to go up on stage. She makes for a really interesting moment in this too, where Sarah Ferguson is outside the Fox News headquarters in New York and Janine Pirro comes out and people are like posing for pictures and asking for autographs. And then Sarah Ferguson just pops in and goes, hey, do you still think Dominion voting machines were rigged to steal the 2020 election? And Janine Pirro just like smiles and walks away and doesn't answer it. And, and they try and kick her off the property for asking questions when it's in front of a news building. Right. She's literally doing news reporting as she can on public property, asking people questions. And they're like, what are you doing here? Why, why aren't you yeah. being cooperative? It's like, it shows to me how much news is entertainment now. You know, right. we've said that about Fox and that's part of the like going for the ratings and following the audience. That's not what news does. That's what entertainment does. And these reporters, like they care more about being celebrities than being reporters. Yeah. They don't address this in the documentary, obviously, because it hadn't happened by then. But the way I ended up even knowing about this documentary is I read an article about how the Australian Communications and Media Authority ruled that this documentary breached the accuracy and fair dealing requirements of ABC's editorial code. And that sounds really damning. And that's kind of the problem. Like, Well, well, we'll because talk- then it came down to three very minor yes. things that would have been easily like when you do a like retraction and corrections the next day, like, okay, we said this instead of that. It was yeah. very, very minor things. Yeah. The, the three things they took issue with, one, using the word mob to describe the January 6th rioters, they said that was emotive and strident language. Hey, fuck you. That was but a like, mob. that's the thing that feels subjective and not objective in all of the things that we're <laughs> right. discussing. They also said ABC should have used a Fox News press release in the documentary, but that press release was like three years old at the time. So well, like, and again, what? as I said, press releases, not news. Yeah, exactly. And then the third thing is they said it was wrong to have stopped Janine Pirro on the street and question her. And it's like, how is that wrong? What, what is that supposed to mean? It's also literally what reporters do. Ask people questions. Yeah. She was on public land. She, or, you know, she was on the sidewalk. It's public. She didn't like invade the building and, you know, come into her office or anything. Yeah. There were other tre- people trying to get pit photos with her. It's not like they're, she invaded a private moment. Like, like baseball rules, kind of. Like baseball has all these unwritten rules like, well, if it's a 3-0 count and the bases are loaded, you don't swing because you know what kind of pitch is coming. It's going to be a fastball and you just don't swing in that situation. And then there are players who will swing in that situation and they'll get a hit and people will be mad at them. And they're like, it's not my job to uphold your unwritten rules. It is my job to do my job. And my job is to win baseball games. And this feels like some unwritten rules shit where they're like, Hey, you're media. You know, you don't stop other media and question them like that. It's just like, I think you were rude, you know? Yeah. Like, otherwise, I don't know what the complaint can be. It's just her doing what she's supposed to do. It feels like somebody of power was like, you got to make a statement that this isn't good. Somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. And you have to make some kind of, you know, some, some writer, someone lower on the totem pole was told, you have to find a reason that we can flag this as not being good reporting. And they went through and they're like, this wasn't nice. (laughs) Well, it's a lot like what happened with Gary Webb, who is the guy who broke the story about the CIA selling crack 
in Los Angeles. If you look into it now, history will tell you that the New York Times and the LA Times discredited his reporting. But what they actually did was, at the behest of the American government, spent like three months just kind of nitpicking the details of his story to the point that like one of their big complaints was, well, he said Rick Ross was one of the biggest cocaine suppliers in LA, but there were actually bigger cocaine suppliers. And it's like, motherfucker, that does not make what he's saying not true. And also it's like, there's, we also know that there were other cocaine suppliers he doesn't even know about. We know about the bigger ones. He didn't even know. It's like, okay, well, you're telling your hand that you have inside information to the people that know the even bigger deals. But at no point did they ever like follow up on the general claim, which was that the CIA knew people were selling crack in the United States. They were just like, "Uh uh-uh, it wasn't as big as he said it was. But because it's the New York Times and because it's the LA Times, people took that and just like read the headline and were like, oh, okay, so I guess that story was bullshit. And it very Because that was the emotional message that they were trying to sell. That's when you get into the marketing of it. And it's not about the details. It's not about the fact. It's about the emotional messaging that people will get when they gossip, when they consume it without thinking about it farther, you know, and being critical. And that was part of Sarah Ferguson's response. She ended up writing a 1200 word response to this report. And here's a quote from that. In its report, responding to extensive complaints by Fox, ACMA says 19 times that ABC did not breach impartiality or mislead the audience. It identified three minor subjective breaches within our coverage, yet the press release issued by ACMA chairperson Narita O'Laughlin and the language of the report create an overall impression that our programs were misleading and not honest. And she's right. And I I think that was the point. They yeah. just wanted to put something out there to put doubt in people's minds. They know the message. They know the feeling that they want to put out there. And then you craft the story around that. You find the evidence to support the message you oh, yeah. want to put out there. You work backwards. Yeah. That's PR, not reporting. What's funny about this is the reason there's a part two to this documentary. And I was kind of confused when I watched part two, because she says right up front that this is a thing we aired a long time ago, and we're just replaying it tonight. But they presented as part two of this. The reason they did that is because one of the other like minor complaints was that they didn't focus enough on social media's role in the January 6th riots. And she was like, yeah, it's because we did a whole episode about that six months ago. And so they ended up like tagging that on as part two after this report comes out. So they were kind of like trolling this report by making that old episode part two of this documentary. And I mean, it's all the same interviews, all the same people. So it makes sense. But yeah, that's kind of it. It's an interesting watch. It's I think the best documentary, maybe the only documentary about the 2020 election fraud theories. And it was good to see it from a different perspective, you know, like the Australian view of the American election, not Americans, because it is also hard for us to be objective about ourselves. We all have an emotional, you know, horse in this race. Um, And I just found it so fascinating when they got to like how this happened in media, how this happened in 
journalism and they have to be like, it was America. That's why Roger went, uh, that's why Rupert went to America because it's not like here or in Europe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We had rules in place prior to the mid nineties that would have prevented an outlet like Fox News from even existing. It's the same reason shows like Extra happened and there used to be like standards that if your show was aired at a certain time of day, there had to be like some sort of educational value to it or it had to be like if it was news, it had to like help the world in some way. And we just stripped all that away. I mean, Fox News happened like a week later. The one like silver lining I try and take from from Trump and Fox and all of this is like, as we said, this is not actually new practice for the CIA or for, you know, very subjective for people with power to be just kind of using what we see as news to actually have very, very particular messaging out there. But it's gotten so egregious that, I mean, my only hope is that it's just that they've gotten so egregiously, you know, they feel so untouchable about it, that it's like, they're getting sloppy, you know, and the whole reason we can talk about this is because they're starting to overstep and get sloppy with stuff that has been going on the whole time. It isn't, it's not new. None of these guys are smart enough to come up with this playbook. They're, um, you know, dumb enough to fuck it up, hopefully for yeah. the rest of them where they're showing their hands. Yeah. You know, that's the only hope is that it's so bad. Now people are going to be like, okay, we got to, okay. Yeah. We got to acknowledge this now. As, as much as I just downplayed Watergate as being, as huge of a scandal as people make it out to be, we absolutely need another Watergate moment in this country. Like there needs to be that collective outrage at something we find out that makes us want to change things. The problem is when we did it with Watergate, it resulted in the church committee hearings, which is where we told the CIA they can't operate in the United States anymore. And then the next thing we did was like elect the director of the CIA as vice president. And then the CIA just started doing whatever they wanted all around the world in the 80s and 90s instead of doing it here. So like our big Watergate moment didn't help. It didn't really change anything. It just pushed the CIA kind of into more secretive parts. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, CIA messaging in media is very present. Like there's lots of old, um, you know, uh, documents and stuff talking about the CIA's connection to Hollywood and putting out certain types of movies that show soldiers in America and very certain propaganda like lights, you know, like, you know, there's still elements of like, you don't talk about this. You don't. Yeah, the CIA, if you go on their website, they have a Hollywood liaison department where that's their whole job is to just consult with films on how they want the CIA to look, which is why I keep bringing up that in 2023 of all the movies I don't want to see anymore, it's a movie that makes like a CIA agent look cool. And like, he's out there saving the world from terrorists. Like, fuck you. That's not what the CIA does. Not trying to watch the guy from the office topple the Venezuelan (laughs) government. Fuck off. Yeah. Thanks. And I feel like we should see who's really in the CIA, like see how annoying most of these people are. <laughs> yeah. And what you said about lazy reporting, too, that's where like the media is. If you're taking a press release and just reporting it as news, you're really kind of setting yourself up 
to be called the enemy of the people because yeah. just because coming from an official source, you still got to look into that. Well, I mean, there's there's lazy reporters, but there's also, you know, pressure from the top, the managers, the editors, you know, yeah, who control what the reporter can only write so much at their laptop. It's the editors and the managers that decide whether it goes in, how it goes in, you know, final say. So I can also see reporters just getting dejected and being like, now this is just my job. I tried. I tried caring. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you see it with outlets in this country, too. It's not just like politically sensitive stuff that and reporters get paid like shit, like teachers. Yeah. And another thing that plays into media coverage in this country is advertising money. And yeah. the example well, of that at this always, point, how many of these articles are like put the press release into AI and be like, write this as a news article. Yeah, exactly. And the thing with advertising money, the example I always bring up is McDonald's pretty early into the Me Too movement. There was a nationwide walkout. Like there were workers in McDonald's outlets all over the country that walked out during lunch hour to protest a pervasive culture of sexual harassment too. and sexual abuse at McDonald's. Almost no one reported on that shit. Like that was not only the first American corporation that got hit with a Me Too action like that, they are one of the biggest corporations. They also, there's a documentary I saw on Netflix, um, something about like where the phone call is coming from. Oh, yeah. You saw that the guy that's doing these prank calls at fast food restaurants all over getting like managers to strip search their employees and like adult yeah. manager men's like strip searching young teenage women and assaulting them. And it was an epidemic. It was happening all across the country. Like it was like one guy apparently calling people all over the country. And the reason it could go on so long as somebody was squashing all the reporting and the news stories on it. And yeah. McDonald's was not telling other franchises, by the way, look out for this sort of behavior, look out for calls that say this. They just kept it quiet, which actually made it happen to such a larger scale because yeah. they were more concerned with people not hearing this story rather than preventing it from happening. Right. And they have leverage over outlets because McDonald's spends so much ad money, probably enough that they can go to the New York Times and be like, hey... The Daily Beast will report on that strike. Just let them have the story. And like, that's where you, messaging from the top, like I don't write the articles, but as the top, I'll go to the managers and I'll go, hey, you know what? We don't want a, anyone reporting on this. That's not the messaging we want for the brand. Right. It happens. And this documentary is a good example of how the media can be manipulated in this country, even though it's an Australian documentary. It's about us. Yeah. And, and it's uh, nice that they really take down the, like I didn't think about the Murdochs. It's so Succession. But if you like Succession, you'll love this documentary. <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely true. It is very Succession-like. And we'll link to it in the show notes. It's free. You can just watch it online. Uh, it's two parts. They're both like 45 minutes. It's an easy watch. And yeah. uh, I think it's I, I think it's the only documentary about the 2020 election theories that isn't pro those theories. Like, the other documentaries about this are conspiracy theory documentaries that want you to believe the election was stolen. And this is a good one that goes in the other direction. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like there's got to be like the liberal tint out there, but then it's also just going to be like, how is it that these people exist? Like they tend to just like demonize instead of investigate, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that's our episode, right? We did it. I feel good about it. I feel like we made it. It's almost as long as the documentary. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and we gave Trump a lot less airtime. So yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like the least important one. <laughs> yeah, he's almost, yeah, kind of the least important person in this. Because like you expect a president if a news media organization is like, hey, we'll be your whole mouthpiece. No president's going to say no. Yeah, they're like, Trump is what he is. That's, yeah. we all know that. There's not like, how could he? Like, we all know what Trump is. The egregiousness here is like, why did this entire news you know, conglomerate just go, yeah, whatever you say, boss. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. It's fucking gross. Uh, Samantha, thank you so much for thank doing you, the pod. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I run a show at, um, El Cid in Los Angeles. Now, if anyone's, uh, around Hollywood, Silver Lake area on the fourth Fridays of every month. So the next one's June 23rd. It'll be super fun. It's on the patio, 730 to 930. I have cheerleading go-go dancers drag queens uh stand-up comedians clowns just a whole variety of fun so come and check it out it's called comedy go-go at comedy go-go show on instagram and i met sam sweets on instagram and twitter and wherever else i made a handle and don't update <laughs> and i'm on uh, only fans by the way i did get somebody on only fans complimented how i was on an unpops episode so thank you <laughs> very nice changing lives there's so much happening with the network right now. Uh, there, we, we changed the name uh, for legal reasons, mostly. I can't wait to see the documentary. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the behind the scenes wrangling. It's been nuts. Me and my brothers have all had a real falling out. I don't have any brothers. Just follow me on Instagram for right now at Adam Todd Brown. That's Todd. Oh with one. Did you ever get that needle out of your face? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but the, the recovery from the surgery has sucked, but there's no needle there anymore okay. oh i'm also on blue sky not to brag it's an invite only thing but if you're on blue mm -hmm. sky follow me there but only if you're invited by someone who invites you and mm -hmm. i only have one invite code so back off everybody wow I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn it in the streets you just blue balled me for blue sky i'm gonna have, i'm gonna set up a burner account with it <laughs> just a second every invite i get I'm going to be two thirds of blue sky by the time I'm done. And I think that's it. We can get out of here, right? Sounds good. Samantha, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.